Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium. Here, we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. I could not be more excited for today's guest. Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor is a Harvard-trained and published neuroanatomist. In 1996, she experienced a severe hemorrhage in the left hemisphere of her brain, causing her to lose the ability to walk, talk, read, write, or recall any of her life. Her memoir, My Stroke of Insight, documenting her experience with stroke and the eight-year recovery, spent 63 weeks on the New York Times nonfiction bestseller list and is still routinely number one book about stroke on Amazon. In her groundbreaking new work, Dr. Jill shares how we all have two emotional and two cognitive modules of cells that underlie four predictable characters, living left and right thinking and left and right, left and right thinking and left and right emotional. Whole brain living marries our psychology with our brain's anatomy, giving us the power to choose who and how we want to be in every moment, regardless of our external circumstances. And if you have not heard Dr. Bolte Taylor's TED Talk, it is one of the top 10 TED Talks of all times, and it is remarkable and amazing. So welcome today, Dr. Bolte Taylor, to the show. Thank you. Can I call you Amy? You can call me Jill. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm so excited to be here with you. A while back, I had asked for your support through Patreon, and I'm so grateful for those who reached out and supported me, but I do need a bit more help. So I've been doing my podcast for about two and a half years now. I have probably upwards of 100 guests that I still want to get in touch with or people who've gotten in touch with me to be on the podcast. And so I'm asking for a little bit more of your help. If you could please go to patreon.com backslash Dr. Amy Robbins. There's uh, my page there, which describes the different levels of contribution. You can contribute at $5 a month, $10 a month, $20 a month, $1 a month, 50 cents a month. It does not matter to me. 50 cents. Just every little bit helps me to continue to produce the amazing content that I am so committed to bringing you all every single week. And so if you could please just go take a look at that and contribute where you feel comfortable, I would very, very much appreciate that. And you're going to hear another podcast that's going to go into more depth later this month in my Q&A podcast about uh, why I'm asking for this. And there's also a Q&A connected to that. So don't just ignore that podcast. Anyway, also would love for you to subscribe to my newsletter at dramyrobbins.com. Follow me on Instagram. Follow me on wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you subscribe so every podcast that you get, you see. Thank you all so much for your continued support of the podcast. And now here's today's episode. I'm so excited for you to be here. So let's start, first of all, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> Do I start with your story? Do I start with when I saw you on Oprah and I feel like I could I have that image for some reason seared into my mind because you were talking about your stroke and you were talking about when a doctor came into the room and you've probably given this interview so many times you might not even remember this specific part but I do and you said you could not understand his words but you could sense his energy. And you said in that interview, please be responsible for the energy you bring into a space. And that just stuck with me forever. So can you kind of bring us to that moment? If you can, I know it's a long story. Sure, sure, sure. So um, I grew up to study the brain as a neuroanatomist, which means I study the anatomy, the cells of the brain. And... I'm getting. I'm sorry. No, I'm just. But I hear really strong wit. But I hear really strong wit. Echo. Yeah. Echo. See if that helped. That helped me. Yes. Did that help you? That did help me. You can still hear me, okay? Yes. 
Okay. I can hear you perfectly. Okay. So I became fascinated with the brain because I have a brother who's 18 months older than I am who would eventually be diagnosed with schizophrenia. And as a child, he was my constant companion. And so I noticed early on that we were very different in how we would describe our experiences. So he just, because of him, I tuned into what are, what am I as a living being? What am, am I as a human? And I just started paying attention to body language and facial language and, uh, you know, how, how we're just so different. How does our brain create our perception of reality? So by the age of 37, I had my PhD in neuroanatomy, and I was teaching and performing research at Harvard in the Department of Psychiatry. And I woke up one day, and I was experiencing a major hemorrhage trauma in the left half of my own brain. And it was a devastating hemorrhage that would eventually shut down my entire left hemisphere. But through the eyes of a scientist, a neuroanatomist who thinks in cellular structure, I got to watch circuit by circuit go offline to the point that I could not walk, talk, read, write, or recall any of my life. I essentially became an infant in a woman's body. And for me, it was a profound experience to because it, it brought to life all all the academics I had ever studied, every book learning I had, had ever done. And I actually got to shut down my left hemisphere and know what is the experience of the right hemisphere in absence of all of that processing in the left hemisphere. So, so how are you doing this while your left hem this is the part that's fascinating. Your left yeah. hemisphere is shutting down and you're still making sense of what's happening to you? Well, yeah, I'm trying to figure out what's wrong with me because all I know is something's not right. right. But I'm not a neurologist. I am not an MD. I am not uh, familiar with uh, a lot of people who experience stroke. I have, I had studied stroke. I understood stroke academically. I knew the warning signs of stroke, but I, I had no experience as a PhD um, with stroke. So I did know all these, you know, book learning about all these different neurological disorders, but it was not until my arm went paralyzed by my side that I realized, oh my gosh, paralysis, warning sign of stroke, I'm having a stroke. And, and then I just kept thinking, you know, wow, you know, how many brain scientists get to study their own brain from the inside out? So for me, it was fascinating to watch circuit by circuit go offline. And uh, for example, I didn't know that I couldn't speak until I tried to speak. And, and, you know, that sounds kind of weird, but, you know, you don't know that you can't speak until you try to speak. Mm -hmm. And, and I didn't, you know, paralysis was an obvious whack upside the head because, you know, the arm literally whacks your body and you're going, oh my God, paralysis, I I'm having a stroke. So uh, it was fascinating through the eyes of a scientist, and, and, but it took uh, hours for me to get help. And during that process then of watching my brain deteriorate, trying to get help, um, I would waffle in and out of the consciousness of that left hemisphere that was experiencing trauma. So take us to the point where you realized that you could sense the energy of the people who were around you because you couldn't understand their words. So when I woke up, the morning of the stroke is four hours of, of trying to get help. And then I finally get help. And I, right before I enter into, uh, I'm riding across Boston from one hospital emergency room into another hospital, uh, Mass General Hospital emergency room in an ambulance. And I'm just curled up in a little fetal ball thinking to myself, literally, hold on hold on. And I kept asking myself, what am I holding on to? How, how does one hold on? You know, what does that even mean? Because, <laughs> you know, you just do it. You don't know what you're holding on to. Right. Um, and I felt that if I became unconscious and I would pass out, then I would die and that that would be the end. So for me, I was, I was slow everything down, calm down all systems. Fortunately, I am, um, I have had at the time, even I had 90 over 60 slow 
blood pressure. Uh, if I had had a problem with high blood pressure, I probably would have bled out completely and not made it. Uh, but uh, because I had slow blood pressure, it ended up being a long, slow leak. And so by the time I'm literally on the doorstep of Mass General Hospital emergency room, I feel my soul release. I surrender, if you will. I just, I'm no longer the choreographer of my life. And, um, and the hold on, hold on, hold on, I let go. So um, I was I was shocked when I woke up later that afternoon because I was still in my body. I was still alive, even though I was completely disabled. And um, and at that point, all I could experience was the energy. I shifted away from defining the boundaries of where I begin and end as a human being, and I become atoms and molecules, energy in relationship with the energy all around me. And all I could detect was energy balls, if you will, of people uh, who would come and, and tend to me or, or, uh, or, you know, do something to me. And I just was a thousand percent conscious of the energy that people were bringing to me. And it was either, you know, uh, bringing me energy and positively working with me and nurturing me or, or they were literally sucking energy out of me and, and I feared them. I mean, if that isn't profound and transformative to think about how we are in the world on a daily basis and what we're constantly running into at all times, like when we talk about people sucking our energy or feeling like energy is really heavy. This is real. I mean, this is, this is real. Yeah. Right. So let's, let's shift a little bit and talk about, I mean, I could talk about this for hours, but talk about your book. So how did this book come to be based on what happened to you? Cause it's almost like you're breaking down what you saw what you experienced through your stroke, you're literally breaking down the brain into four different pieces. Right. So I, um, I, at the end of the Ted talk that you mentioned earlier, I, uh, I ended that Ted talk by saying, we have the power to choose moment by moment who and how we want to be in the world. Because as I lost my left hemisphere with the stroke, I became big as the universe, right hemisphere consciousness. But, you know, that's a great place to visit, but it's a completely non-functional human space to be in. You have to have Bummer. the tools. <laughs> it's, yeah, I know. It's, too, well, it's great to go visit, but you got to come back to reality. Right. So um, I had to rebuild those skill sets of that left hemisphere. And so I did, and it took me eight years to, to do that. And, um, and it was a conscious rebuilding because I had to get my language back, which meant I had to learn sound and placing meaning on sound. And then for reading, I had to look at these squiggles and, and my mother would say this, you know, with her finger, she'd say, this is an S and it sounds like, and I thought, who had a stroke here? You know, I mean, this is lunacy, but we have these abstract symbols that have meaning and it was so hard for my brain to relearn, but it did over that course of eight years. So learning the stuff as kids that we learn now as an adult able to say things like this seems like lunacy, (laughs) lunacy. I mean, a one, you know, everybody would say, Jill, what's one plus one? What's one? And they'd always, you know, go a one with their finger and, you know, a one. And they'd say a one, you know, a one, it's everything. And I literally for four years, I would think, well, if a one is everything, how can you have another one? (laughs) It didn't make any sense to me. And I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. So, so we're teaching children a whole new reality of this left brain in relationships so we can communicate with the external world. So, um, so anyway, so I, 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 I ended that TED talk by saying we have the power to choose moment by moment who and how we want to be. And I had literally over 300,000 people write to me and say, how do I do that? How do I go from my left brain into that blissful euphoria of the right brain? Because, you know, you had a stroke to get there, but I want that. How do I get that? And I had no answer because I could tell you what it was like. And that where the landing pad would be, but I couldn't help you get there. 
and and I didn't know and I didn't know and I thought about it and thought about it. I've just been crunching on this literally for a decade. And then I'm giving a presentation to an audience and um, and I say to them, you know, I love presenting in this day and age because people love to hear about the brain and people know brain language. They know about the amygdala and the hippocampus and the anterior cingulate gyrus. It all just thrills me that people want to learn about this. But the fact of the matter is we have two amygdala and two hippocampi. And there was a audible gasp in the room. And I thought to myself, oh, my gosh. People think we only have one emotional system. And no wonder we're confused because we have two emotional systems and we have two thinking brains, one in each hemisphere. And, you know, we have been trained that the right brain is the emotional brain and the left brain is the rational brain. And that's simply not true. Neuroanatomically, the the emotional system is evenly divided between these two hemispheres. So here Mm -hmm. in this deeper area of our brain is going to be our emotional tissue. And then we're going to have higher thinking tissue, which gets added on and makes us human. So, and we have that in both of our hemispheres. So we end up having thinking tissue in each hemisphere and emotional tissue in each hemisphere. And each of those modules of cells are independent from one another. Of course, they're interconnected and they're interrelated, but they are independent modules of cells that function as a personality, not just a skill set and a set of abilities in the world, but they have a personality. does was it helps us uh, differentiate which are our four characters and how can we learn to jump in and out and recognize when they're in conversation with one another, who's talking to whom and what choice do we have in who and how we want to be at any moment. So can you walk us through the different, you call them characters, you give them names for, for, which I love. Uh, I do. Can you walk us through each character and how yes. they work? And and also in the book you do this, but you, you walk us through how they work in different situations. And this was the piece for me that's so fascinating because when I look at the brain anatomy that you just showed me, you took out not a real brain, a plastic brain, and showed me um, what it looks like. You know, when we think of the primitive brain is really these emotions. When I talk with my patients about these these initial, like, fear responses, right? They're not thinking, they're feeling. And they're so exactly. deeply embedded in our brain that, yes. you know, they don't, they're not really necessarily working for this day and age. Right. That's exactly right. So when you think about evolution of the mammalian nervous system, if you look at a reptile, that's the sophistication of our brainstem. And our brainstem, it's bilateral. It has two sides. Uh, But these are pretty much on-off switches. So I'm hungry. I eat. I'm not hungry anymore. Uh, I'm in the mood to mate. I mate. I'm done mating. These kinds of things. So it's on off. And then that was great. And all the kinks get worked out of the tissue of that reptile brain. And then through evolution, new tissue gets added on top. And that new tissue is the difference between a reptile and a mammal. And that's the emotional tissue. And so we have emotional tissue, again, bilateral, one on each side. And then over time, uh, the kinks get worked out of that limbic emotional tissue and the tissue below, and everything's moving smoothly. And then evolution says, well, let's add more tissue on top and be, get something else. And then we add thinking tissue on top of our emotional tissue. And so the difference between a human animal and other mammals is that higher thinking, new thinking tissue. And what this really means then is that we are feeling creatures, emotional creatures who think. We are not thinking creatures who feel, but we are feeling creatures who think. So when you're talking to your patients and you're saying, you know, it is those those deep primal feelings, those emotions, that we have to manage that because otherwise, if we don't manage the emotions, we really 
uh, it's like a pipe that just starts filling up, filling up, and then it's going to explode in some very, you know, unhappy, unattractive way. So, um, so we have that emotional tissue in each hemisphere and then thinking at it on top. So when I think about the four characters, I, uh, if you take a brain and you open it up, fillet it open, um, I, character one is going to be the left thinking tissue. And the th one of the biggest differences that's important to note is that the difference between the right brain, the right hemisphere is right here, right now. It's all about the present moment. So right brain, right here, right now. Easy to, easy to remember. So in the present moment, there's a lot going on and we will have feelings and emotions in the present moment and we will have thoughts and experiences in the present moment. But the left hemisphere does this most remarkable thing. And the emotion of our left hemisphere and our thinking is actually has a past and a future. So the left machine, the left cellular machine, and you have to remember that these are cells. So everything we think, everything we feel, every physiological response we experience, these are cells inside of our brain running on a circuit. Now, first of all, if you've got emotions that are running out of control, doesn't that help to think, oh, there's a group of cells gone haywire in my brain. <laughs> what can I do to actually calm myself down and let that circuit dissipate its energy? Right. And to me, just doing that allows me to observe that circuit instead of simply engage and let it run my life. Which is so, mindfulness all, in a lot of ways, right? I mean, yeah, that's exactly that the premise of mindfulness. That is exactly what that is. So, um, so the left thinking character one, uh, and I, you're right. I name my characters, and I encourage everybody to name their characters because these are specific identities inside of ourselves. And as as you get to know the four characters, you will hear the four characters having these these conversations or these arguments or these supportive ideas inside of your brain. So I encourage you to give them a name because they like that. They are are like you know the brain cells are like a group of cell of kids on a on a playground, and they all want to be heard. So give them a name and listen to them, and they're all different from one another. Character number one is our rational brain that interacts with the external world. When you think about that left thinking tissue, it actually has a group of cells in that tissue that defines the boundaries of where we begin and where we end. Oh my gosh, what a concept. Amy, when was the last time you looked in a mirror and you thought, how do I know that my face is my face, but these glasses on my face are not my are not me? How do I know the boundaries of where I begin and where when I end? Have you ever thought that? Have you ever asked yourself that question? I actually have, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> I love it. Because I was sitting in meditation a couple weeks ago and I suddenly could not feel my body anymore and I couldn't tell it was like I was thinking like move my hand but I could no longer move my hand and I was Perfect. like this is totally trippy what is going on here because I know I'm laying in a bathtub meditating and I'm aware of the fact that I'm still in a physical body but I can't figure out how to move that physical body Exactly. You shifted out of that group of cells. And that's a beautiful example because we have to, I mean, imagine if the atoms and molecules of the universe is one big, vast, open, expansive place, and then we show up as living creatures and all we perceive is us as a part of the big, vast, open space, we have no individuality. We have no differentiation away from that. We have no, I, I, I have no identity and I don't know where I begin and end, which means I can't really function as though I am an individual in the external world. So that group of cells gives me that identity and it also gives me language. And a part of language is my ability to say I am an individual. So my ego center is going to be 
inside of that left hemisphere. And what that means is there's a group of cells defining the boundaries of where I begin and and, and as a human being. I have an identity. I am Jill Bolte-Taylor. Here's my phone number. Here's my address. Here's all my data about me. And the whole universe gets filtered through the filter of me, my ego, because I am the center of the universe, Amy. Didn't somebody give you that information? So here we are as our own ego center where we are the center of the universe. My universe revolves around me. And it has to be like that in order for me to take myself as a mass and move into the world and interact with you as though you're an individual and you're the center of your universe. So character one is all about the external world. It has language, it communicates, it organizes, it categorizes everything. It likes to control everything, people, places, and things. It likes to be the boss. It defines what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad. Live inside of the structure of me, and where do I, where do I exist on that hierarchy? Uh, how much money do I have? I'm focused on materialism. How big is my house? compared to everybody else? Uh, What kind of education do I have compared to everyone else? I mean, it's this comparative right, wrong, good, bad. And if anybody's a perfectionist inside of our brain, it is our character one type A, A++++ personality. Okay. I'm going to have to think of a name for that one. Yes. (laughs) I look forward to that. (laughs) So we have character one. Character one. And then what is... Okay, so take us to character two, which is the left emotional brain. Yes. So that's the deeper part of the brain. Yes. So it's the emotion. And and the emotion in both of our hemispheres is our uh, autonomic alarm, alarm, alert, alert uh, tissue. So in my left hemisphere is my alarm, alarm, alert, alert. And it's in the machine that has a past and a future. Gotcha. So all of my emotions that have anything to do with my past, any of my trauma and how I feel about that now is is in that character too. Um, If I feel resentment or guilt or shame, these are all relative to something that I experienced in the past. So these deep emotions. So would Freud call this the unconscious? This is actually a part of the unconscious. Okay. Because as we think about the four characters, the only one that's truly conscious is character one. Right. Character two, character three, and character four are all a part of the unconscious. But character two has character one's imprint, for lack of a better word. Yes, it does. On top of it, which is why we project and, um, you know you know, sort of those lower level defenses that we use psychologically because character one is laid on top of it, which is, that's why that happens. Okay. You should really, you should really consider teaching this. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So that little character too. Now think about at a cellular level, the miracle of what this character did. So we exist in the present moment. The present moment is a real place, whether I exist or not, whether my left hemisphere exists or not. Reality is reality in the present moment. And then this amazing group of cells of this character two, left emotion, that tissue was willing to take information about the present moment and step out of normal consciousness of the flow of the present moment and step into a consciousness that has the ability to compare any information coming in right now to anything we have experienced in our past. Mm. And we Mm -hmm. can project that as any kind of, of, of proposition or any kind of fear of the unknown of the future. So what that means is that little character too stepped out of our normal consciousness of the present moment to give us a past and to give us a future, giving us temporality. Gotcha. So okay? that guy's now, telling us a whole story that may or may not be true, and it's probably not. 
And it's probably not. And it's based completely on give me a reason to push away. I'm the alarm, alarm, alert, alert of anything that ever happened in the past. So if you walk in and, and you remind me of somebody who scared me once or hurt me once, then all of a sudden that little character is going to say, give me a reason to say no and push away because I feel like you're now a threat. Now, that character, too, likes things that are familiar, not scary familiar, but familiar. So if you look like me, if you talk like me, if you have the same color skin as me, if you speak the same language I speak, if you wear the same kind of clothes I I wear, if you pray in the same way that I pray, if all these things that we we would build as either bigotry or racist All of those little fears are fears against push me away from something that doesn't feel familiar. Okay. So this is all that kind of emotion, all that negative uh, projection of what, how you don't fit in my box of what I consider to be safe. And so then it's alarm, alarm, alert, alert. I'm going to get loud. If you don't look like me, I'm going to get loud about it. If you scare me, I'm going to get loud about it. I'm going to be mean about it. I'm going to, I'm going to blame about it. I'm going to, ah, yeah, yeah. And gosh knows we got a lot of that going on in our society Mm -hmm. right now. And the other really interesting thing, Amy, about this particular tissue is that this is where we crave. We crave. We have yearning and we crave. So our addictions are in our little character too. On the left side. On the left side. In the left hemisphere. Okay. In the left hemisphere. I wish you taught my like biopsych classes in grad school. Exactly. Now, well, you know, progress happens. So, um, (laughs) so I feel feel like I spent years trying to understand this. And in 20 minutes, I'm like, I've got this now. You know, I think this is the gift of, of my having a stroke. I mean, if a brain scientist had never had a stroke to, you know, try to figure out what is really going on here, this insight would never have been gotten. But I really do feel blessed. And I feel like, you know, if I needed to fall off the planet now, I feel like I've brought my purpose forward. So, so, um, so I think it's important. Um, but, but what this means is that if it's little character two, left emotional character, who is addicted then that is the character that has to go through rehabilitation in order for there to be true recovery. Okay. So I can go into recovery like a one and it's like, okay, well, you know, my spouse said, yeah, yeah, I got to go to recovery. And so I go to recovery and I jump through all the hoops and I look like I'm being recovered. But if I don't address my true emotional issues in that character too, if that character doesn't show up, I will come out rehabilitated, but I will relapse because I have to have the character who is actually the addicted has to go through the process. Gotcha. Okay. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. So you recognize that part of yourself? Yes. Yeah. Little character too? Yeah. yeah. I mean, little character too, you know, it's uh, not our prettiest self, but boy, and most of us go to therapy because we'd like to have that part of ourselves cut out. But then I have to go back and say, this group of tissue is, I consider it our superhero because these cells were willing to step out of the blissful euphoria of the present moment, the consciousness of the universe, so that I could have a past, I could have a future, I could have temporality in my life, and I can actually create an individuality that I can relate to the external world. So we wouldn't be who we are without this character. We have to have it. Um, it's not not pleasant when it comes out, but it, it's mm-hmm. it's screaming um, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. I see something as a threat and, um, and the rest of us need to address what it's perceiving as a threat. Got it. Okay. okay. So I think All I right. got one and two, three, okay. right. Uh, emotion. Right. Right. Emotion. Okay. Emotion. Right. Yeah. So we're going low. We're going across yeah. low. Yeah. We come high, low, low, high. Okay. Okay, so character number three is right emotion. Again, it's alarm, alarm, alert, alert in the present moment. So the present moment, just think about what's going on in the present moment that there's no judgment. Without that character one bringing in and saying this is right and this is wrong and that is good and that is bad and judgment, judgment, judgment. 
the present moment is like fantastic opportunity to do whatever we want to do. What do we feel like doing, Amy? Let's go play. Let's have a podcast. Let's talk about the characters. Let's go do something. And then when we're done doing that, then we can go do something else. And it's creative and it's interested because the left brain is not again saying, um, I'm sorry, you have to color inside of the lines. It's like, what lines, you know? And and I'm just going to be <laughs> present and, and I, I like excitement and I like to do things. The right hemisphere is related to the body. It's not distracted by that intellectual academic thinking. It's it's in the body. It's, it's like, let's go do something. Let's go paddleboard or let's jump out of an airplane or what do you want to do? <laughs> so, you know, it's right here right now. It's enthusiastic. It's a bullion. The right brain doesn't have the individual. So it's not about me. It's about us. How, what, let's, let's us get together. Uh, uh, let's do something that's good for us. Let's go to a ball game and we're all together and we're wearing the same colors and we become a team and it's like so exciting and so interesting. So this is a wonderful part of who we are, but it needs, it does need to have a healthy relationship with the left brain because otherwise it's in chaos. And it's bringing chaos at a high pace of in relationship. It is thrilled to be alive. So So do people who are more risk taking, is that part of their brain like stronger, more active, less shy? Exactly. Okay. I want to. Exactly. Okay. What? No, I'm just like, how do I tap into that more? But we'll get there. (laughs) Exactly. It used to be there. I think, is there something about as you age and you're, left thinking brain starts to have more experiences of like, oh boy, I could die if I, you know, hang glide off the side of a cliff in Switzerland. Maybe that's not the best idea. Well, you know, it's probably a good idea until you have children. And then, you know, that maternal instinct comes in and says, well, you know, who's going to take care of my kids if I jump off that thing? You know, it used to be like a great idea when I was 17, but... (laughs) You know, now that I'm 30 and I've got little people or I've got, you know, parents I need to tend to, I have more responsibility by definition is going to be my left brain is getting stronger and actually showing up to tend to others other than me. Then, yeah. So isn't isn't the secret of life going to be finding the balance mm-hmm. between all these four characters so that we we don't feel deprived of something? Um, and yet at the same time, we really can balance and temper well what what is good for me how do I make my character one happy but I still get to have a little character three fun you know so maybe I'm not gonna you know jump off that mountain with those new fly suits that look like wow what fun that would be uh instead of that maybe I'll go whitewater rafting people do it all the time and people don't get hurt you know so we start negotiating between ourselves you know how high a risk do I want to be? Mm-hmm. So, but that's right. So this character, um, it's joyful. It's young. Both of our emotional systems, character two and character three, they are young. Uh, they never mature. Um, they're just about the alarm, alarm, alert, alert, excitement. That character two houses those deep emotions. Character three is also emotional, but it's more experiential. What does it feel like to be in the present moment? What does it feel like to have my my clothing on my skin? What does it feel like how much humidity is in the air? The breeze as it pushes against my face, um, just connected to that present moment experience. Okay. Okay. And its primary, its primary experience is one of joy. So when we think about the happiness circuitry inside of our brain, we're being trained by neuroscience that the left hemisphere is our happy circuitry. But the difference between happy and joy is that happy is is dependent on external circumstances. Mm-hmm. I'm happy today because the sun is shining. I'm unhappy today because it's raining. I'm unhappy today because of this, that, or the other. But joy in the right hemisphere is I wake up and there's some joy there. Because it's like, well, what am I going to do today? Right. Separate from any external factors that are playing into that. Exactly. Okay. I just wake up with a warm little heart that's excited. Got it. And then character four. Yep. Character four is our right thinking tissue. And 
This is the part of ourselves that consider when you were in the womb. And when you were in the womb, you began as that original zygote cell, that original cell that got half the DNA from mom, half the DNA from dad, the single zygote cell that would metamorphosize itself into who you are today. And the energy of that cell is now the energy consciousness of your mother and the energy consciousness Mm -hmm of the world, of the universe. So that consciousness is ultimately going to take that genetic profile that's going to be you, and it's going to multiply the DNA and then repackage that in new cellular structure at a rate of 250,000 new cells per second, per second, not per minute, per second for nine months. We are in this process of gestation. The consciousness inside each and every cell that that ultimately develops into your infant body is going to have the consciousness of the universe. This is a part that is in every part of us and we, we are connected to that which is beyond us through the consciousness of that right thinking tissue character four. So when we meditate, where are we meditating to? When you were in the tub and you lost perception of your body, you shifted into being as big as the universe and you used water to help yourself get there. And that's really key because of all the electromagnetic radiation Mm -hmm. that's bombarding us, it doesn't travel so well inside of water. So when we allow ourselves to submerge ourselves, this is one of the reasons why we feel so peaceful in the water is because it's like a way to kind of like, you know, get the crazy energy of electromagnetic radiation. I mean, we're all carrying a cell phone, right? We all got routers in our home, right? We are just dancing in this field of electromagnetic radiation. How do we protect ourselves from that? But that's another story. (laughs) We'll have you back to talk about that. Exactly. So here we've got this consciousness of the universe and these cells. So when we meditate, we're meditating toward that peaceful euphoria of being as big as the universe. In the present moment, there's no judgment. There's no right, 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 wrong or good and bad. There just is what is and the experience of what is and embracing that is peaceful and beautiful. And it's always there. It's always available for us to tap into. So this character inside of our character four, it has no boundaries. It has no ego self. It is, co- it is collective and connected to all that is. It has a beautiful relationship with the energy of the trees and the energy of the water and the energy of the other people. It is supportive and nurturing of everyone else because there is no boundary defining the beginning and end of each one of us, which means you're an extension of me. Why wouldn't I support you and want you to thrive because you're part of human life. Together, we are a human family. So that's our character four. And we have the power to choose moment by moment, which of those four characters we want to embody at any time. And of course, now that you know those four specific characters and you are a psychologist, isn't it true that Jungian's four archetypes land directly on top of those four characters? So does it make any wonder, is it any wonder that great minds of the past have come up with the archetypes because we are biologically programmed as our two emotional and our two thinking modules of cells. Okay. So now what? (laughs) Okay. So So you talk about this in the book. Exactly. I love this. Okay. So this is where we're going to next is this notion of the brain huddle. And I just want to let everybody know who's listening on Fireside. We are going to open it up for questions if people have questions. So we'll finish chatting and then um, probably another 15, 20 minutes, and then I'll open it up for questions if anybody has any. Um, So you say the brain huddle is how we own our power by taking full responsibility for who and how we present ourselves to the world, as well as how we choose to let the world influence our emotions, feelings, and behavior. So how do we do this? That's like pure freedom, isn't it? I mean, isn't the ultimate goal of all of us as human beings? How do I tame my emotional reactivity? And how do I hook into my peace when I need to hook into my peace? And how do I just enjoy my life? So this is called the brain huddle. 
And uh, of course, it's BRAIN. B-R-A-I-N is the acronym. Of course, it is. And uh, how, how could I pick anything else? And so the huddle, think about your brain. Now you got these four characters inside of your brain. And I encourage you to name them and give them individual identities because they're very different characters inside of ourselves. And I don't name them because I think it's important that people pick their own names that are meaningful to them. So otherwise, go with character one, two, three, or four. So here you have these four characters in any moment. They're all right there in your head. You have this brain and they're all there. So I say, this is your brain team. And what do teams do? They call a huddle. And so I encourage people to do that 20 times a day, 30 times a day when you don't need a huddle so that you can do it when you do need a huddle. And we need a huddle when our character two reactivity, emotional reactivity acts up and we're all of a sudden emotional reactivity and out of control. So, um, so the huddle is B breath. So the, the idea here is to call the huddle, get all four characters on nine. Now, first of all, you know, um, as soon as character four is called into a huddle, we're going to make a better decision, aren't we? Because all of a sudden, character four is actually aware. Right. And, and a part cares of the conversation. about the whole, right? It does. It's our kind. It's our open. It's our expansive. It's our forgiving. It's our loving. What if sometimes so, we don't want to call in character four because exactly. we want to be with character one? <laughs> you know, sometimes you just want to rant and rave, right. don't you? I mean, there is nothing more delicious than throwing a character two fit. <laughs> However, it's hurtful to ourselves biologically. It's terrible for our stress circuitry. And, you know, it kind of destroys relationships. Mm-hmm. I, I, so, you know, if the ultimate goal is to have relationships, you might want to try the huddle. So, so let's say right now we're going to have a huddle. Okay, so, so the huddle, B, breath, B, breath. B brings everything to the present moment. Nothing more powerful than focusing on your breath. It's constantly going. It's the first thing we do and the last thing that we do. And in between, we have gazillion breaths. It's always present. It's always available for us who bring our mind to the present moment. Now, first of all, isn't that amazing that we are capable of taking our brain from one level of consciousness out of some past experience or some future experience and bring it to the present moment. I mean, this is a miracle. The life of what we are, the phenomenon that we exist at all and what we're capable of is just like awe-inspiring. And if you're not feeling awe-inspired just because you're alive, then you might want to go visit your character for and experience a little more gratitude for your life at all. Anyway, having said that, <laughs> so now we can pull everybody together in the brain huddle and be breath, be for brain, bring our mind to the breath, brings it to the present moment. R, recognize which character am I currently being? Well, right now I'm being my character one. Uh, I got my earrings in. I got my glasses on my face. I'm sitting in my computer. I got here on time. I worked through a million details to get to you. And here we are. <laughs> Thank right? you. So th- clearly, you're welcome. More than welcome. Here we are, character one. And so character one, recognize. B, breath. Come to the present moment. R, recognize which character am, is currently has the microphone, essentially. Okay. Right. Um, I might be walking in nature and call a huddle and really recognize wow, you know, to my other characters, I love that y'all let me come out and be in nature and really support me being uh, my character for. Or I might be paddleboarding and thinking, wow, you know, I love paddleboarding. I love playing and I can hold a huddle out there on a paddleboard and say, wow, I love playing. And it's like, thank you, character one, for not thinking I'm wasting time, right? Mm. You'll have your time. We'll get you back in time. (laughs) You know, I mean, they're all talking to one another all the time. Gotcha. So R, recognize which character am I right now. A, appreciate the fact that I have all four. And that's what I was doing. If I'm a character three, I can say thank you, character one, for, for, you know, scheduling that next podcast so that I had plenty of time to, like, um, run around the cove on the paddleboard. Or, or I might say to character four, character four, wow, look at this, look at, look at this, you know, and, and they, they communicate with one another. So I, A, appreciate that the fact that I have all four. Now, that's particularly important if my character two unhappy little self Let's say we call a huddle and it's a little unhappy too. And it's like, I don't want to draw a huddle because I matter in hell, you know, and character one, but they're all present. Bring my mind to the present moment. 
that dissipates the energy out of that little unhappy character to mm. self. B, breath. Brings you to the present moment. R, recognize which one am I am. Let's say I'm really unhappy. I'm in my two. Uh, become aware, three, and appreciate that I have these other characters. Immediately by doing that, Amy, the energy shifts back into the other characters. It's like, yeah, I'm matter in hell. And yeah, okay, character one, I know you're there. Mm, you know, character four, at least I know they're there. I know I'm not alone, right? Mm-hmm. A, I, inquire in this moment, which one do I want to be now? Which one is it appropriate for me to step into, for me to live my best life. I actually have the power to choose that. And if they're all in communication with one another and I'm appreciating that I have all four, okay, well, I'm really unhappy right now and I don't want to be unhappy because I don't want to be unhappy. So I'm going to go do some character one things. I'm going to take care of some details. I'm going to clean up some messes or I'm going to go for a paddleboard ride and I'm going to get into my character three or I'm going to go do something as a character four. I'm going to inquire with myself which character do I want for my next best life? And then N stands for navigate because movement, much life changes like this. And we have to constantly navigate. Okay, well, in this moment, yeah, I thought that I was going to go paddleboard. But um, then I remembered, oh, I need to go start those engines because I live on a boat half a year and I have to start those every, every uh, week and I haven't started it yet. So, you know, that new navigation. But paying attention to this conversation inside of our head is differentiating who's who inside of us and who do we want to be in any next moment. Okay. So, and who's talking to who? So is the goal to find balance between those four? Or is it that sometime you want, you want, like, I really want to be in that bathtub state of four more? Well... So other than laying in a bath all day, in which case character one's going to start talking to me saying, well, you can't lay in a bath all day. Right. That's right. You know, that's exactly right. It's, it's, it becomes a negotiation, but at least you're having the conversation. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, and, and at least now, you know, and then character four can go. So character four comes in and says, man, I love that bath state. I really want to go back to the bath. And character one's going, "Okay, well, um, we're busy right now. And so you're busy until four o'clock today. Now, I'll tell you what, uh, you got an hour before dinner. Uh, if you wanted to go draw a bath and, you know, go bliss out for a little while, I'd be okay with that. Or maybe you could do that tonight at 830 because, you know, why not? And then little character four is going to go, oh, my God, I'm being seen. I'm being heard. I'm being valued. I get to participate. I get to go find my bliss. And character one learns that when character one really encourages character four, we all feel better. And our stress level goes down. And characters one and two in that left brain, that's our stress cortisol Mm -hmm. circuitry. So that's our stress. And if it's we want less stress, then how do we do that? Well, You can either go do some drugs or do some alcohol or you can go take that bath. And little character two is going, yeah, I like the idea of the drugs and the alcohol. And character four is going, you know, why don't we do something healthy instead? And little character three is going, well, we could go for a run in the park or we could call our pal and we could go for a walk. So I'm sure you've seen the movie Inside Out. Yep. I feel like this needs to be Inside Out, too. Well, this is the anatomically correct inside out, but you're absolutely right. I loved that, uh, that because it, it, it started the right kind of conversation. I just, and I, I, I called them up and I said, you all should have talked to me before you, you, you made this book, uh, this uh, movie, because uh, it's close. But I, but I felt this, like it really, yeah, this is like next level. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is, this is the anatomically correct next level. This one, this is the first paradigm that I'm aware of that actually marries what we understand with psychology and so many ideas psychologically, the world of psychology with the world of the brain, the neuroanatomy of the brain. And um, and I just love it. So how do you think um, it's like we divided our brains the same way we've divided the world, science, spirituality? Right. And why do you think that happened? And it does feel like there's a bit of a shift to merge those two back together. But I think this book does that in a lot of ways. 
Yeah. You know, there's, there is no division between science and spirituality. The thing about science is science had to define itself several hundred years ago. And it defined itself by coming up with by definition, the scientific method. Well, you can only scientific method means this happens, this happens, that happens. That's a left brain activity. So you can use that in the physical world where the left brain exists, but you can't use the scientific method on anything in the right brain that doesn't make any sense based on how the structure is defined. So by the scientific method, and I'm a researcher, so uh, I can say this, um, you know, you have to be able to to create a paradigm and create an experiment where you can do A, B, C, D, E, F, G and come up with a predicted answer and you have to be able to repeat that. So by definition, the, the scientific method is a method, which is great for science, but it doesn't do anything for things that cannot be explained by science. And science, therefore, is in the box of the, the, the parameters set up by the left hemisphere mm-hmm. and in the way it structures information, which is detail, detail, more details about those details, where the right brain is open, open, expansive, all collective, which is more quantum. So what is quantum, quantum mechanics? What is quantum physics? Well, that's what's more or less going on in the right hemisphere. And then the left hemisphere is saying, I don't understand quantum. That just doesn't make any sense to me. And it has to be one way or the other. And it's like, "Mm, no, it's both. We are both. We are the this and the that. And isn't it lovely that we are a this or a that? Because otherwise, we'd just be one of those things. And uh, we wouldn't be curious. We wouldn't be, uh, uh, we we wouldn't be exploring. We would be very black and white. Mm -hmm. We'd be much more reptilian. Right. switches and we're not well some of us are (laughs) wow well this is amazing I'm going to open up the the um, floor for questions but before I do that where can people find information about you where can they find your book right now books on Amazon I'm at drjilltaylor.com I'm easy to find I'm user-friendly perfect okay so I don't know if anybody has questions but I will try this I'm very new with this fireside thing so let's see um, I guess I just, does anybody have a question? Oh, okay. Yay, we have a question. Perfect. Hi, PJ. Welcome. And you can just unmute yourself by pushing the little monkey face. Okay. Perfect. Thank you for that. Um, this has been amazing. And I would love to hear your opinion of the recent research that's happening around psychedelics. And and what that does to the brain in this model. Yeah. So psychedelics are easy to understand. Um, Thank you, PJ. Anytime that we take any kind of anything, whether it's milk or whether it's uh, ecstasy, uh, if it has an impact in the brain, it's because it is it is working and acting on a system that already exists in the brain. Um, it, uh, that makes sense, right? So um, like milk is going to turn to calcium and uh, a precursor to serotonin, and it's going to be tryptophan turns into serotonin, and serotonin is a neurotransmitter system that makes me feel pretty good about most things. Um, and ecstasy is going to come into the system and it's going to influence um, uh, p- part of the anatomy that's already there. And what I, what I, I, I have opinions, I will say, I have two opinions, actually. Uh, one opinion says, um, I'm a believer that, well, first of all, if you take the ecstasy, essentially what you're doing is you're using that tool to access, drop out of your left hemisphere and drop into the consciousness of the connected to all that is experience of the right brain. Um, and it's helpful. And it is helpful because if I am really caught up in the circuitry of my character two, and I am caught up in the trauma of my character too. And the thing about cells and circuitry is that the more often you run a circuit, the stronger that circuit becomes. And the stronger that circuit becomes, the the more of a habit it becomes in wanting to run automatic on its own. So, um, so if I'm caught in my trauma, then, you know, using something like ecstasy uh, medicinally allows us to shift away from that circuitry that is caught in the trauma and allows us to experience other circuitry inside of our brain. 
oh my gosh, I am much more than just the circuitry of my trauma. So I, I believe that it's positive, positive in order to help us out of post-traumatic stress and those types of situations. Uh, and I'm good with that as long as we're microdosing, as long as we have a professional with us who is guiding us on the correct journey, because otherwise we can even traumatize ourselves even more. Um, and as long as we're using it as a tool to f- identify what does it feel like to be in another part of my brain? And then here's where I come in as uh, with the bias of I now that I know where I'm going, I want us to be able to get there without the use of the drug. And to me, that is a healthy use of that kind of a therapy. Wonderful. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. It's a great question. Thank you. So it would be about how do we replicate this in its natural form? Exactly. And how do we find our way there? I mean, um, I, I, I've known many people who have gone through um, uh, using ecstasy to get out of their post-traumatic stress. And um, and once, you know, usually after the first experience of, oh, my God, um, all those cares and all those worries and all those fears, as they disappear, it's like I do have the capacity to exist in a different part of my brain. It's kind of like escaping uh, the tormenting part of my emotion. And our emotions, as you said, primitive part of our brain that is powerful and, and you know, I know never want to negate anybody's powerful emotional pain. Uh, we anguish, we grieve, we, we suffer. Um, at the same time, I also say, you know, I don't mind if you're miserable as long as you remember to enjoy it because you are a living being capable of experiencing misery. But that is a right brain way of looking at our left brain um, painful emotions, but we all suffer. Um, but suffering, I, you know, I like to say suffering is something that, that we, we, we do. It's not a lifestyle. It's something that we can visit, but it's not a lifestyle. If we get so caught up in our pain and trauma and it becomes our ongoing constant lifestyle, then that's when we are emotionally in trouble and we need help in other ways, whether it's a talk therapy, whether it's a, a whatever the form of therapies, transcranial um, mag- magnetic is amazing. Yeah, I that mean, TMI, I've been reading more yeah, about that. It's amazing. It's like, how do we stimulate other cell the groups TCM. so that we can TCM? release ourselves? TCM, it's called? T- uh, transcranial magnetic right, resonance. Yeah, yeah they're doing yeah. it too with ketamine now. It's like a... yeah. They're microdosing ketamine. Well, and ketamine is a very dangerous medication. I'm going to throw that out there. Even under supervision of under supervision, I can I can manage the microdosing as long. But uh, you know, there's that fine line between use and abuse. Mm-hmm. And I think it's uh, you know the left hemisphere that little character too. It wants to abuse. It wants to abuse. It doesn't necessarily want to learn and change. Mm-hmm. It wants to abuse. So you have to have the healthier parts of your brain also turned on so that we can figure out how do we do this in a reasonable way that, that remains healthy. I mean, this is about mental health, isn't right, it? Right. Uh, and right now we are in a mental health crisis and trying to help people find their way into more higher levels of mental health. To me, it's whole brain living, which is, you know, why I wrote this book. It's well, about how do I... How do I do that? Right. Well, it is. And as you're talking, I'm thinking about, you know, my story, which is about, you know, the loss of my aunt and my anxiety around that. And then my ability to have tapped into more of my right brain, I believe, when I had experiences with her connecting with me and that expansiveness of, oh, my gosh, maybe we are all one. Maybe when we die, we don't actually die, but our consciousness lives on. And then the anxiety that was the left brain emotion, I'm trying to like translate all of this into your language, quieted Mm -hmm. down because it wasn't so fearful anymore that, oh my God, I'm going to die and how am I, you know, everything I do is going to kill me and I need to live a certain life because if I don't, what happened to her is going to happen to me. And the expansiveness of conscious allowed me to get to that place. So you have just made, helped me make sense from an anatomical perspective of how I got to where I got. Love it. 
How's that feel? It feels amazing because I didn't understand it for many, many years and I would just talk about it, but not in the way that I don't know I'll ever be able to talk about it again, but I can talk about it now because you just explained it all to me. (laughs) (laughs) I think you got it figured out. So does anybody else have any questions before we end for today? Anybody? Nope. Okay. Well, thank you all for listening. Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor, thank you so much for your time. I mean, this was mind-blowing for me today. It was, it was one thing to read the book, but then to be able to have the conversation with you was like a dream come true. Beautiful. So thank you. Thank you, thank you so Amy. much. This was phenomenal. Happy, happy to share, happy to be with you. And um, I, you know, for me, it's, uh, we are just this miracle. And what I love about what you're doing is you are helping people really recognize and own their power as these beautiful, beautiful creatures of life. And we don't know. There's life and there's death and there's, you know, on both sides in between. And the mystery, it, it keeps us curious. Mm-hmm. It keeps us open to possibility. So thank you for being you and thank you for, for today. Of course. Thank you. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between.